Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ego Check with the DM. I am your host, Michael Mallon, and tonight I am joined by a couple of guests, which I'm excited about, uh, Dr. Jared Kilmer and Elizabeth Kilmer. Uh, welcome to the show. Jared is a clinical psychologist, and Elizabeth, I believe you're close to being a clinical psychologist. I'm so close. I so just have close. to keep working for like <laughs> seven months. It's all I have left. And then the dream is realized. Yeah. So both uh, in the psychology field and they both have a lot of experience of using tabletop role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons with patients and with veterans in the past. We're going to talk about that. Uh, they're both affiliated work for Game to Grow. So we're going to get into a little bit of that. They have upcoming plans for the PAX convention. So there's a lot of exciting stuff that they have their hands in. I'm really excited to welcome to the show. So thank you for joining me. Thank Absolutely. you so much for having us. So, pardon me, Elizabeth, I'll start with you. This is for folks who maybe aren't familiar with, with your background, what is a kind of a bullet point synopsis of who you are and how you got to be where you're at at the moment? Yeah, so I am a doctoral candidate in clinical psychology, which means I have a master's degree and I am in the last like couple of months of finishing up my doctorate. Um, so I'm actually a psychology intern at the American Lake VA. And I uh, started running therapeutic D&D groups at a children's advocacy center in uh, Dallas, Texas, and then also ran uh, groups at the Dallas VA before kind of moving up here to finish my doctorate and have been able to kind of start running uh psychotherapy D&D groups through the primary care mental health integration kind of clinic at the VA up here. Excellent. And, and Jared, where, what have you been up to? <laughs> uh, I am also a clinical psychologist. I have run these psychotherapy D&D groups uh, in several different settings uh, at a couple different VAs in Texas, in Waco and in Dallas as well as in private practice. Uh, Elizabeth and I have had the opportunity to run these groups with children, uh, adults in the general population, and veterans. Uh, and amongst the veteran population, I've gotten to run these groups in residential PTSD treatment centers, psychosocial rehabilitation and recovering centers, which is outpatient treatment for severe mental illness, uh, and substance use treatment programs. Wonderful. So I've, I've had the pleasure of interviewing some other mental health providers here over the years since I've been running the podcast, uh, including both Adams from Game to Grow, uh, Dr. Cannell, who's talked about her therapeutic use of, of RPGs. So you've been doing this now for, it sounds like, several years. And for the folks listening who maybe this is a new idea to them or they don't really have a sense of how D&D can be used therapeutically, what is your pitch for telling people of how that can be effective. Jared, do you want to jump on this one? Uh, so one of the first things I like to uh, one of the first things I like to throw out there in the pitch is the potential benefits of coming to a group like this. If you've ever played a tabletop role playing game before, you may have noticed this intrinsically. Uh, benefits you may have seen in yourself playing through these kind of games can help with the development of social skills problem solving skills perspective taking and empathy increasing frustration tolerance etc um, 
And so one of the things that with my, you know, my training with, with groups is that there's these, you know, specific factors that are useful in, in group therapy. And then D and D is in some ways allows you to kind of build off of that. And I've talked mm-hmm. with some other, like I said, other providers that talk about some of these skills, like social skills training, and you mentioned frustration tolerance. So how to deal with setbacks, how to solve problems. What was it like introducing that to a veteran population, which maybe would be a bit more skeptical of such things? Yeah. So, um, it's really fun (laughs) to get to introduce it in part. So, um, the VA has a lot of kind of opportunities and resources devoted to traditional psychotherapy. And a lot of the veterans that we see, um, are still experiencing problems. Some of them have had really good luck in therapy, but they're just looking for something different or they're feeling really burned out uh, or they don't want to sit in a room with other people and talk about their feelings. Like that is just, that is not something that's on the table for them right now. And so I think when we, and this I learned from Jared, but when we kind of sell it from that perspective, we start talking about like how you could benefit and how this looks different from traditional psychotherapy. That's when we kind of start to get people interested. And then we say, and also it's this game. Uh, and sometimes we lose people there. They're like, no, that's not my thing. Uh, but we found that most people that are willing to at least try one week find that it's really beneficial. And a lot of times they will start noticing things within that very first session. Um, so they'll come in, I started uh, a new group uh, about a month and a half ago. And I remember like after the first session, I had a veteran come up to me and say, like, you know, I was really skeptical about how this would work. Uh, but I noticed that like, man, I was really impulsive and that's something that I really struggle with in my real life. And it was cool to get to like, see that play out in a way that I actually got to observe it as well as experience it. Um, so I think it's, it's easier than I ever would have expected to sell it. Uh, and the other thing I didn't expect. So the last group I had, I actually put out flyers instead of just recruiting, uh, through clinicians, they still had to go through kind of a screening process with me to make sure they were appropriate for the group. But I had a fair amount of people, uh, contact me and say, Hey, you know, I really like games or I really like gaming and I'm interested. I actually have a couple people who are in my group now who have way more experience with D and D than I do. Um, but we're really looking for a way to be able to kind of apply that therapeutically. Um, some of them are just saying like, you know, I, I am not comfortable in traditional therapy settings, but I really do like playing D and D. And so the idea of merging this is really exciting. Yeah. For a lot of the vets who may have experienced multiple groups and haven't gotten what they hoped they but they haven't gotten what they needed out of those groups yet. Uh, and they maybe are feeling burnt out or they're just kind of turned off from the traditional group therapy format. Coming to these groups still allows them to engage in the process of psychotherapy, but that process can be more covert as they sit down to play a game that might be already familiar to them in some cases. But often they're busy learning something brand new with a, a group of people. Uh, another challenge that comes up in presenting this to veteran populations, though, is the history of tabletop role-playing games. The satanic or moral panic from the 80s still lingers in a lot of people's minds. And so when presenting these groups, we make a point to talk about 
history and some of the myths that surround for example dungeons and dragons or other games of that type and engage in some myth busting uh, of those stereotypes to help pave the way for them to be able to hear the rest of our message so when i think of psychotherapy groups i, I kind of i come to sort of these two mindsets where there's more of a psychoeducational group where it's almost like a class where you get a group of people together you're presenting information. There's a little bit of back and forth with the group and the clinicians leading the group, uh, but it's, it's mostly kind of the presentation presentation of education, of strategies, of skills. And then there's more of a process group where mm-hmm. you just get people together in a room. There's a general topic, but it's you let people kind of give and take, and the clinician is directing things and pointing things out and keying in on some themes where it's a little bit more open-ended, not exactly a support group. It's, you know, there's definitely um, some direction there. Mm-hmm. And so then you have this D&D group, which it sounds like it's a little bit of both of those and then the game. So how exactly does it work? Like what, how does it start? What's, what's like the first appointment, like second, third, fourth, fifth, like how, how does it work for the veterans who are, or veterans or beyond who are joining that such a group? Yeah. So I think the way that I conceptualize kind of the the way change happens in this, and we've actually done a lot of talking recently about how um, this intervention can be approached from multiple different kind of therapeutic orientations or like schools of thought around how therapy works. Um, Where I kind of came at it originally was from this kind of traditional process group idea. So taking uh, Yalom's like 11 therapeutic factors and like, how does this kind of map into this? And so I really conceptualize it as we've got this kind of process type group. Obviously, it's not exactly a traditional process group, but we've got this process type group. And then we just dump the game on top of that. Um, and so the game itself is going to be kind of set up in a way both my planning ahead of time is going to have kind of uh, different encounters or different themes that I'm expecting to target different skills uh, or different kind of issues that we want to process. Okay. Um, recently in a group, we talked a lot about feelings of like helplessness and grief. Um, and uh, everything that, that the players bring in is going to add to that. And so like the game itself, we generally block off about two hours and, and the first hour and a half ish is more straight gameplay. There's still pieces of processing in there. There's that's where a lot of the um, like veteran. um, Sorry, I'm not saying this right. So that, the first hour and a half is more strict gameplay, mm-hmm. um, but it's still that time where the veteran will say, like, oh, my gosh, I'm acting really impulsively. Or, man, I've spent the last 20 minutes of this game with my back up against a wall, right? That can't happen without that gameplay. And then we spend the last 30 minutes of group really with a more traditional kind of process where we talk about what people noticed today, what was kind of going on, what was happening with the characters, what was happening with the players. So that's kind of a traditional um what a group would look like. Now, the first session looks a little bit different. Jared, do you want to cover that? Yeah, session one is usually going to just cover the basics, group rules, expectations. How does a group like this function? I really push um, the expectation of attendance in a group like this. These groups are often 
not always, but they're often closed groups where you're going to see the same individuals every week and that bond and that sense of teamwork is going to build over time. And if one individual is not there, the whole group is kind of, you know, feeling that the experience is lesser for their absence. Um, but after we get rules and expectations out of the way, session one's really more focused on character creation. If there's any questions left about what is Dungeons and Dragons or what is a tabletop role-playing game really going to look and feel like, we like to cover that in the first session. One of the things we like to do is just hand out pre-made characters and orient our players to the sheets and then put them in a simple brief scenario where they may have an opportunity to play around with the world, interact with an NPC, maybe get into a quick minor fight, and then we we stop and we pull the reins back and you know talk a little bit about what that felt like once everyone kind of has a better understanding of how the game might normally be played it, we jump into character creation so we'll talk about what are all the different options available in the game that we're going to be playing typically we're just playing fifth edition dungeons and dragons and we're using the forgotten realms and that's just easy for us as facilitators because we already had to have that in our minds but there's nothing sacred about the kind of game that we're playing um and uh once that should take the whole group time uh if anyone was fell behind or had more questions or wanted personal attention we may have an individual appointment in between session one and two but by session two it's what elizabeth described it's just uh business as usual with the 90 minute gameplay and the 30 minute process and before we had a conversation, you had said that you provide players with with dice and minis and, and things like that. Like all the all that's needed for the game, you you provide to the players. Absolutely. Yeah, it, in this setting, I think it's a big ask um, for us to ask our veterans to not only be interested and willing, but also go out and do a bunch of learning and buy a bunch of products to make that work. Um, I think that's just too many barriers. So we usually provide dice and sheets and pencils and anything that we might need. And it's superfluous, but it's also kind of nice to have big maps where we can draw out scenes or have figures to represent uh, different players or cards to remember your spells with. Those are just helpful adaptive tools. Um, so I wonder with the, and you mentioned this idea of processing, which again, for folks who maybe are not too mental health inclined or have background in that, they might have a sense of what that means, but it might be useful to provide an example of like a moment in the game from the session that somebody, one of the players, one of the veterans, like really connected with and, and had some kind of real life movement or insight into what had happened in the game. Is there is there an example from a recent session that comes to mind? Yeah, so I'm running um, my players through my <laughs> Madness right now, which uh, is different for me because usually I do kind of all homebrew stuff. But um, there's a room in the dungeon where it's like to get past it, you have to sacrifice somebody. And the game has this kind of built-in where like you could 
meet this goblin friend and they could come with you and you could sacrifice. Right? There's there's pieces that are meant to be built in. And if this was just my home personal game, uh, you wouldn't have to sacrifice anybody and they wouldn't have to like for real die to get through this room because that's not necessarily the kind of game I enjoy. Unless I have a player who just really wants to get rid of a character, um, I don't. That that's not necessarily a situation that's going to feel good for people. But the goal of psychotherapy isn't always to feel good. So with this group, um, several of them have experienced kind of losses or feelings of helplessness uh, around loss um, of loved ones or uh, like other service members. And so we went to this room and they got stuck in this room and they couldn't get out. And they kind of got to this point where they realized that they were probably like somebody was going to have to die. Uh, and it was really interesting to watch the way that um, talking about what was happening, right? It wasn't, oh, my character does this, or maybe my character could do this, but it was very much like, I do this and I do that. Uh, and we actually had a visiting psychologist come to observe and they were playing with us. And so this was somebody who was only here for one day uh, and they were going to leave the next week. So like, right, this is a really easy person. We could be like, okay, well, you can sacrifice your character because you're never coming back, right? The emotional valence there is pretty low. Uh, and that was not introduced as an idea until... Um, until this visiting psychologist actually brought it up and there was still a fair amount of resistance. And so this was this really cool space where we were kind of able to talk about like, how did it feel to be there? What was going on kind of in your body? What was happening with your, with your character's emotions? They talked a lot about these feelings of kind of helplessness, these feelings of anger. We talked a little bit about like, how, how is this now how does this translate to your life, right? Um, one of the veterans talked about how he has this tendency to uh, really keep looking for solutions, even if there aren't any, uh, that, that looking for those solutions is actually a way to keep avoiding uh, his emotions around loss and grief. Another veteran mentioned that uh, when I had asked, so we do, for this one, I, I asked as we were going through this room, kind of what's going on, what's happening in your body, what's happening in your head. And then we process more later. And at the moment, at the when I asked, he said, oh, well, I'm not feeling anything. I'm not fe There's nothing that I'm feeling. Which is a little at odds to the way he was kind of sitting up straighter in his chair and it, he was clenching his fist and he started stacking his dice a whole bunch. And then later we kind of processed, I, tell, I said, tell me more about how you were feeling nothing. And he was like, well, I... I don't know that I was feeling nothing. I think I wanted to feel nothing. And we, he was able to kind of bring in and talk about how like avoidance, which I think is a really common strategy for a lot of people was, was really at that kind of the forefront there. And he also was able to identify that like, because he was trying to avoid his emotions so much, it really left him kind of disconnected from the game. And it actually made it harder for him to work with other people to identify a possible solution. Which I thought was a pretty cool moment. Yeah, and it, it does bring up this thought I had of, you know, working with a, a veteran population. Likely, some of these men and women that are in your groups have been exposed to some life-threatening situations. Absolutely. Uh, you know, combat, life and death, and like you said, have have lost loved ones, have, have lost mm -hmm. people they served with, and it, you know, one of the pillars of. D&D, &D, it's talking about like exploration, role playing and, and combat. So yeah. combat is very much baked into the game. And 
a lot of these themes of life and death and loss and suffering take on a different tone, I would imagine, when you're in a room full of players who, like, that's one of the reasons they're coming to the game is to Absolutely. get help with that. So I imagine you need to be uh, mindful about how you're introducing that and implementing that during the game. I guess if you could speak about that, that'd be really Yeah, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I think telling that story, it was a really powerful moment in group, but also it was really important to note that like, I know my, I know my players. This isn't our first group. Uh, this is something I have a fair amount of training in. Um, and so I felt really comfortable being able to introduce those themes of making them feel really helpless of talking about kind of the sacrifice of human life in a place where I trusted that I was going to make everybody at the end of the day feel safe. Um, so I expected people to feel uncomfortable. I expected it to be hard. Uh, but this was also something where my players had the foreknowledge, not that it was going to happen that day, but they had the understanding that we were going to address themes like that. And they trusted me as a clinician to be able to kind of hold and contain any feelings, emotions, experiences that came out of that. So I think that is a really, really important thing to keep in mind that when you want to run a game and it's a psychotherapy game, it is really important that you have both that training in that psychotherapy as well as that training in D&D. Um, and that you're up front with your players about it. And I think in some ways this is even more important with the players who maybe know D&D better, right? Talking about how does a therapeutic game look different than like a game for fun. Does that kind of make sense? There's uh, another element there I want to touch on Please. that I failed to describe in session one, which is the concept of informed consent. Uh, and that's an important point that comes up in all individual and group therapy. Uh, you know, the classic one being like about confidentiality and what I can maintain and where my limits of confidentiality are and the fact that the other group members aren't held to the same standard. And we usually have to have an agreed upon what happens in here stays in here, but also agreeing on what does happen in, in here. What are we going to talk about? And this is important in therapy groups and it's important in a home game that has nothing to do with therapy is some players uh, will benefit from engaging in specific content and other players are going to be harmed by engaging with certain content. Um, maybe that's a, it's a triggering idea or a memory. It's not the appropriate space to be exposed to it or process it necessarily. And so we'll usually talk at the, in session one, what are certain areas uh, or ideas or concepts that should never come up in our adventure? Um, yeah, that, I mean, I think we have advocated like a session zero for regular D&D groups to make sure everyone's on the same play page and make sure the players are playing the type of game they want and the person running the game is playing the type of game they want. Um, in, in these settings with veterans, I imagine like what type of violence is just off limits? Like what don't you want in this game? And it, it sounds like that's a very direct conversation you have with everyone. Yes, and mm -hmm. it's an answer that's very much a moving target. It's very very idiosyncratic. And it's something that can be a moving target um, throughout the life of a game, right? So when people start 
a group, they may be comfortable or uncomfortable with certain topics and that can flip because the reality is, um, I, this is something that comes up a lot is veterans will say like, man, like I didn't realize that I was going to feel this strongly about a game. Like I didn't realize Mm -hmm. how much this was going to tap in to my real life experiences. And I was going to, I was going to feel like this. Um, because I think we have a lot of, like if you watch a lot of movies or you consume a lot of media, we have this experience of being able to kind of variably distance ourselves in a way where if you're not kind of paying attention to it, D and D can kind of catch up with you in a way you weren't expecting. And so maybe I'm totally fine with, um, violence on TV or in a movie or dealing with themes of, uh, suicide or loss. But when it comes to a D and D game and now I'm connected to these people and now one of my party members is at risk or now one of something bad has happened to them, that might hit me in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, so it's, it's something that it's important to have those conversations at the beginning, but then also expect that for individuals, that's going to change, especially if for a lot of our veterans, um, or anybody engaged in therapy, oftentimes if you've been using avoidance for a long time or you've had a lot of kind of emotional numbing, which is a common symptom of a lot of kind of mental health issues, part of that kind of recovery process is learning to feel emotions again, learning to feel emotions again and not be just totally overwhelmed by them. And so if I was totally fine with anything at the beginning of that D and D game, because I was really good at just shutting down my emotions and not experiencing them, as I start to be able to experience more emotions, I may have more trouble with different topics. Like there may be things that I'm no longer okay with because I'm feeling them more strongly. Yeah, and it sounds like it's very useful to be willing to not only have that conversation session one before the game starts, but throughout the life of the group. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I really recommend for kind of any game, therapeutic or not. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You, I'm curious, so how long are these groups? Is it something that's like eight to ten weeks? Are you meeting weekly? And, and how does it conclude? So we've done a lot of different things with all of our <laughs> some experimenting to see what works best. Yeah, and I, it really change, It really uh, is really different depending on the setting that you're in. So right now, I'm in primary care mental health integration uh, is where I'm running it, and that means that kind of anybody who is seeing their primary care doc is eligible. So a, a lot of people. Um, And this was originally conceptualized as a group where it would be the same people for 10 weeks. Uh, And we found that just kind of getting people on board for the group, uh, that's not the most realistic expectation for this setting. So now it's something where it's kind of a rolling admission but closed group. And so what that means is that we expect people to be in the group for eight to 10 sessions, depending on their kind of goals for the group. And... um, as people kind of graduate out, we introduce a new person, which is, I think, really valuable for groups because it means that you have at least several groups with the same chunk of people. So you're able to kind of establish those trust. We see a lot of those kind of um, group therapeutic factors happen. And you also get to introduce new people to the game, um, which allows us to really challenge some of those ideas around trust, uh, around new people, around learning new things. So I think that can be really valuable. Um, but at the end of those eight or 10 weeks, for some people, it may be really beneficial for them to tack on a couple more sessions. And that's something where currently the way my group is set up, that's totally fine. They can do that. Um, and then when they're ready, 
they kind of graduate and we have a couple of things that we recommend. So for some people, we're, we're going to recommend kind of transitioning back to individual therapy or to other group therapies, maybe volunteering in the community or finding your own D&D game, a non-therapeutic, just for fun game. One of the things that I really like about this group is it is awesome for kind of the therapeutic content, but it also, uh, you come out of it with the ability to do a new hobby, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And so have you found that, that veterans who were maybe not gamers to begin with or not that familiar with D&D have gone on to seek that out in the quote-unquote real world outside of the VA? Oh, yeah, and that's been some of the coolest things to watch. I would argue that most of the veterans we work with didn't previously play D&D. A lot of the veterans we've had the opportunity to work with are also – Older veterans, uh, a lot of Vietnam yeah, War era. Yeah, I check in about that. That's sort of the demographics of, of who are the people that are coming to these groups. Yeah, it, it, it varies a lot. Um, it's so broad. From OEF, OIF to Vietnam and Korea sometimes. So it, it's it's been a mixed bag, and our, and our groups aren't like a homogenous age. You may have somebody who's in their 60s and in their 30s at the, at the table. Um one of my favorite stories was the group we started up at the Psychosocial Rehabilitation and Recovery Center in Waco. Uh, that was uh, a rolling group. It lasted on my internship for about six months. The veterans just every eight weeks are like, no, we don't want to stop. We're still benefiting. And their individual therapists were like, they're Please don't stop. They're they're engaging with us more than they used to. Um, I don't know what you're doing, but keep it up. So that ran for about six months while we were there, and then we moved away. And uh, the psychologists that were still working in that program were continuing the group. And uh, periodically as we check back in, we'd learn that the veterans were self-selecting to move the location of the group from the hospital to the community. Uh, the psychologists would still meet them out there, but they'd meet at a local game store and run their group right there. Um, and then a couple more months passed by, and the psychologist fades out, and the group isn't running at the hospital or the game store anymore as, quote-unquote, a therapy group. It's just a group that the veterans have started and are maintaining in the community. And I think that's like the perfect outcome for what we were trying to do in that program. Um, other times we'll have veterans, and I'm thinking of one person in particular from substance use treatment in his 70s who said, like, I've never played a fantasy game before. I didn't care about any of this stuff. Uh, typically, if I was bored, I would just do drugs. But uh, lately, after like going through treatment and being in this group, I was slipping through the TV the other day, and I got to the sci-fi channel, and there was a movie on that seemed – kind of weird and a little bit interesting and I was feeling more open-minded so I just I just let it play and I had a great time and as I was watching it I was putting myself in the main character's shoes which is not something I've ever done before and the movie felt so much more important uh, than I expected and uh, suddenly the things that this individual found uh, interesting and rewarding uh, just blossomed and, and expanded into a much broader list of things through engaging in this process. And that was very fun to watch. 
Yeah, that, that's great. That's awesome. It's, it sounds like, you know, one of the things that I talk about with in my, in my clinical work is just this idea of behavioral activation, which is, a, to me, a fancy way of saying the more often you do activities that you care about, that you're connected to, that you value, that you value usually the better you'll feel. And the more often you don't do those things, sort of the worse you feel. And mm-hmm. so by giving people a new hobby, a new interest, something that's valuable to them, while also maybe connecting them to like-minded people, giving them an outlet, it, that by itself seems like it's quite powerful. Oh, yeah. Just as a, a treatment for depression, getting them engaged uh, and connected with others goes so far. And that question of what do you value by engaging in a game of Dungeons and Dragons uh, can have so many different answers. It might be that processing element at the end in personal growth and development. It might be the opportunity to interact with other people when often you're isolated or to develop friendships and feel like you're on a team again, which is something many of the veterans we've had the opportunity to work with said they've felt has been lacking in their lives uh, since separating from the military. Uh, so there's a lot of different things that a player may come to value and it, it catches people in different ways. So there's a lot of, it sounds like, you know, great anecdotes about this being very helpful and, and veterans having some gaining insight, maybe developing some skills. Have you tried to look at this with, experimental method to try to get some data about pre and post how people are doing? Yeah, we we have a couple of projects in the works right now, which I'm going to back off and let Elizabeth touch on. But before we got those started, uh, we were just collecting data when and where we could, uh, because one of the biggest travesties around this is it's so clear that this can be helpful and there's reasonable uh, speculation by individuals who may not be as close to this. And so data to prove that these methods are effective is really valuable. Or, you know, data to find out that some of our methods aren't effective is super valuable. So um, when I was going through some of these programs on my internship and on my fellowship, I would request participants to fill out questionnaires uh, every week. And we were able to compare where they started with where they were eight weeks later. Um, and even in like fairly small, underpowered samples, we found about moderate effect sizes overall in things like uh, improved problem-solving skills, perspective-taking, uh, self-reported uh, ability to forgive self and others, self-esteem, sense of humor. Uh, I think that's, I think that's the main ones yeah. that we, well, that we got like, data that on. Sounds like a lot. Yeah, it was exciting. Yeah, so I um, am currently collecting data with my groups, and it's like an internal to VA project. Um, so there are some limits on how that data can be disseminated, sure. but it. Um, at 
it is not far enough now that I have run any data. So currently we just have kind of what people have been telling us and then what I've been hearing from other clinicians. So a lot of the veterans that I see in my groups are engaged uh, in other groups or in individual therapy throughout the VA. And so it has been really cool to see, because I obviously assume that like this is working. I'm seeing these really cool moments happening in groups, so it must be doing something. Um, but I like I just got an email today from a therapist who has had no engagement in this group other than referring someone, uh, and they mentioned that it's something that has come up and that seems to be making a bigger difference than a lot of the other groups that this person is in. Um, in terms of their willingness to engage with both the therapist and their uh, willingness to kind of show up to a group and talk about it. So it's I'm really excited for when we get kind of more of those numbers because I'm very, very much a numbers person. Um, but at this point, I think our data is pretty limited. We have another project that we're working on with Game to Grow, uh, which is more focused on uh, social skills groups with kids. But the reality is there's very, very little research in this area. A lot of the research that exists is primarily case studies. And so we're kind of trying to change that. But as you know, research is a slow process, so it'll take us a little while. Yes, as, as someone who took years to get their dissertation published, yes, it's a very slow process. <laughs> yeah, so I think I now that my dissertation is done, I feel like I have like that extra fire to get this uh, done because it's something I really care about and it's something that I think is really important. Um, yeah, and research is also it's it's costy. It it takes a lot of not only like financial to you know do proper research correctly. Uh, but with something like this, it takes a lot of time, a lot of participants' time, and mm -hmm. to run a study like that with all the proper experimental controls and to get mm -hmm. enough, to get enough people. I mean, yeah, and I think where we're running into it right now too is like I I'm, I count my group at eight, and to get even like what is considered a baseline acceptable sample, that's thirty people. So that's sure running that group several times um, right. and assuming that everybody who does the group is willing to fill out that paperwork because they don't have to and it's totally fine if they don't want to. Um, I would love for them to fill out the paperwork and we are we're actually lo looking at really limited variables in this just to we're keeping it to just the uh, general forms that we already ask people to fill out at therapy appointments plus kind of one extra measure just to try and make kind of that participant load a little bit less. Mm -hmm. and, and so you, you start talking about, you know, work, working with game to grow. And I wonder going, going forward, like where, I almost want to say like, where's the ambition? Like, where does it, what do you think is next? And not where's the ambition? Cause it seems like you have a lot, but like, where do you think that takes you in the future, like a year or five down the road? That is a really dangerous question. Um, <laughs> I think I was just going to say, I think what we're really focused on right now is standardization. Uh -huh. um, we, we want data so what do you mean to by prove that when the you say effectiveness, but I'm sorry. What do you mean by that? When you say standardization, I, there are not many providers using an intervention like this. Um, and those who do it are, you all have their own way of going about it. 
um, and they're not necessarily collecting data. And if they are collecting data, they're not necessarily using the same measures uh, that other researchers are using. And if they are, I hope they're analyzing it with similar methods, but I'm not sure. And so uh, from data acquisition to analyses to creating training manuals for other clinicians who are already trained as mental health providers but don't know how to integrate tabletop role-playing games into their practice as appropriate. Um, like Those are all elements that Elizabeth and I are excited to, to work on. Mm-hmm. And I think like something that came up today, uh, I had another psychologist reach out and ask, like, all right, cool. How do you get trained to do this? Because I'd love to introduce it in my clinic as well. And the reality is like there, um, there are a couple of people that are doing some trainings around this. A lot of those trainings, again, are focused more on social skills and more on kids. Uh, so I know that both of us really care about being able to, we care about these groups and we care about these groups being done well. And so I think our goal over the next five years is to figure out ways in which we can best facilitate other clinicians being able to do these groups in a way that, um, affects change in clients, um, in a way that is sustainable in a way that is not going to get big pushback from administration because it's done in an efficient and ethical way. And so that's kind of our, our, our big goals is to to help other people get to do these groups and continue to collect data on it to make sure that we understand what is and is not working with these groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's a, a few different things at play. There's certainly like being a good therapist and mm-hmm. how to do proper group therapy. And then there's this idea of like, well, being a good DM or being a good game manager and how game master and how can you go about doing that so that's sort of a separate skill. And then combining those two things seems like a third skill. <laughs> and yes. so you have a lot a lot to manage where you could be a good therapist, but you might not know anything about gaming. You could be a really good DM, but maybe not be a great therapist. And so you're, it sounds like, yeah, having some type of training to help people with that who are motivated and interested would, would be fantastic. And sort of before that gets going, you need to find out, well, what is effective? And mm-hmm. it sounds like you're kind of laying the groundwork for that right now. Yeah. So right now where we're really focused on with the research is just does this work at all? Right. Um, And so after that, we can do like dismantling studies, which is where you kind of take apart the pieces and you figure out like, okay, well, what parts of this intervention actually matter and what parts are just we're doing it for the heck of it and what parts are potentially like making the intervention less effective. So we are a little ways away from that. Um, but it's, it's definitely something that's kind of in the works and is, is something that we want to move towards. Yeah. Something we view as a necessity long-term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and both of you are, I think, real active and I think there's a, a growing community of mental health providers who are active on social media and who are, being advocates for this kind of work. And so I think you're kind of hitting the convention circuit. You have in the past, and I think you have some yes. panels coming up soon, correct? <laughs> we we might have slightly overcommitted to the convention circuit this year. <laughs> but it's just so much fun. Um, 
And yeah. Do you, is it time to talk about what we're doing at conventions this year? Please. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, so um, we will be at PAX Unplugged this weekend. Come join us. It's going to be super fun and really cold in Philly. We are not prepared for that. Um, I'm in Minnesota, I, so I have no sympathy for that's however fair. cold it's, it's going to be in Philly. Well, 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 what is the forecast? I think that on Saturday the low is 25 okay, and the wind chill will be like 15. Yeah, and fair. I don't that's know fair. that Jared has experienced cold that cold before. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I lived in Philly for a year, <laughs> so I'm really excited to go back and visit. But uh, it's going to be it's going to be a little chilly, a little chilly. Um, but on Friday, from 4:30 to 5:30, we or I will be in the Plus Four Diplomacy Conflict Resolution Skills at the RPG table, um, and so that's uh, take this panel. And I'm so excited about this because it is a panel that's really focused on like. Here are some actual skills that you can walk away from our panel with and implement at your table. So that's really the goal is to give you things that you can actually like take and apply instead of just generally talking about the benefits of conflict resolution. Um, and then Jared and I are on a panel on Saturday with some really awesome people from four to five called Don't Yuck My Yum, a debate on the value of evil alignment. So this actually started uh, out of a debate that we accidentally started in the middle of a panel at PAX South uh, about whether or not you should allow evil player characters at your table. So for therapeutic games or for fun games, like what are the reasons that you would or you would not uh, allow evil characters? I am staunchly of the opinion that you should, and I have lots of reasons why, but you will have to come to the panel or watch about it later to find out. Nice. A good teaser there. Get, yeah. get to Philly, everyone. Yeah, go to Philly or watch it on YouTube later. And do you have other, well, I guess the years are almost over, but next year, are you also kind of going around to the different conventions? Yes. So Jared is going to go to be our uh, Kilmer representative at PAX South, I believe. Yeah, we have panels going on uh, PAX South uh, upcoming in January and uh, we're also submitting panels to PAX East for a few months later in March of 2020 and Emerald City Comic Con coming up too. But those things are less real. We have to get our panels accepted first. Well, and if people want to reach out to you on social media, if they listen to this and they're really excited or have questions, what's the best way for them to reach out to both of you? You could find uh, – we have a joint Twitter account. It's our professional account. Uh, it's called at Doctors Kilmer, D-O-C-T-O-R-S-K-I-L-M-E-R. Um, we also have personal accounts, but they're probably far less interesting to most people. Probably. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's the best way to reach out to us. Great. What I'm kind of ending on this, um, I, I wonder what has been – the most surprising reaction, one, from other professionals in, in field of psychology, mental health, and also from folks who are just kind of clueless about both, about mental health and tabletop gaming. I think the most surprising thing to me recently is, again, I mentioned that I um, was recruiting to get this new group up and running with flyers. And what was the most surprising thing to me was having clinicians who, so therapists who had not played D and D 
and didn't know what this was, call me up and say like, Hey, I think my client would be appropriate for your group based off this flyer. Like that, that was kind of mind blowing to me. Um, and they were generally right. And the flyer does talk about things like frustration, tolerance and communication skills. So maybe they were just looking at that and ignoring the giant picture of the dragon. Um, but it has been really exciting to just see kind of how quickly people acclimate to the idea and really jump into that. Like, Oh, it totally makes sense how this would work. Maybe I will stop being surprised by that at some point, but it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> yeah. The, it, it, it's consistently a pleasant surprise. Um, almost every session. I remember the very first session I ever ran, I just did a classic, uh, tavern scene and i described the the layout and the the citizens there and then i asked all the players in a residential ptsd treatment program to describe their character and where they are in the tavern and what they're up to and after the the eighth player set his piece down on the map and described his actions and he leans back and pauses for a few seconds and goes oh crap Every single one of us has our back to the wall and is just watching the whole room completely like independent of the other seven. Um, and then the whole room was like, oh, no, I didn't even notice that. And that was the first time I was, I was surprised at how quickly this was going to start gaining insight into the minds of some of our players. But I, I, think, I don't know. More surprisingly to me is the number of like, – hyperbolic responses I get from our veterans who engage in these groups. And by that, I mean, I don't know if, if these, I don't think these groups are superior to the other groups that we provide. There's a time and a place where these are really important and a time and a place when other groups are really important. But uh, just looking at attendance uh, in a regular group, I might have, you know, attendance that I never hit a hundred percent of people that are signed up for that group to come back from week to week. It, it varies greatly. And in our D&D groups, uh, far and away, attendance is almost always at 100%. Oh, yeah. People are coming back. I've heard individuals say things that blow my mind. Like, I haven't felt excited and creative since the 70s. And making me think about creating a character has, like, really gotten me excited. Um I haven't felt this way before, or at least in decades. And little little nuggets like that always kind of catch me off guard, but are very reinforcing. Can I change the thing that I was excited about or surprised by? <laughs> you can add another one. I can add another one. Okay. So um, I think, and and I really like group therapy in a lot of different forms, and I love running groups. But to kind of add on to what Jared said, like the amount that veterans get in, or just any of our groups. Uh, the amount that clients get invested in these groups is so cool to see how like passionate uh, they get about the group. They get about the success of the group. Like I, uh, we're not having group this Friday because I will be in Philly at um, PAX Unplugged and we normally meet on Fridays and my group members were like, well, that's like, that sucks. You're going to go talk <laughs> about like this kind of stuff. Well, why don't we just live stream it? And I was like, that would break so many HIPAA violations and I would never work in the VA system ever again. So like, no, we cannot do that. But it was cool just to see kind of how engaged, 
my group member, Scott, about like, no, this is something like, this has been really helpful to me. I really want people to know about this. I want people to know like about how this works because I think it's really important. Um, there is not another either individual or group therapy modality that I have run across where people have been quite as excited and passionate about wanting to make sure that other people know how much this matters. Yeah. I think there's something really magical about marrying uh, a Dungeons and Dragons game with group therapy. If you were going to go to group therapy, you go with the intention of improving yourself in some way and contributing to others. Um, and I, I think that combination of these two actions um, leads to people being more excited to show up and be present than I see in either of these activities when they're on their own. Even just for fun home games of D&D, I see people be flaky far more frequently than I do in treatment. That's awesome. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it sounds like you've had so many great experiences with the uh, different players that have participated in the games. Uh, it's exciting that this is being offered to really a population that might not ever be exposed to it. I mean, I just find that really cool. And I hope the data that you come up with shows that it's, it's effective and it kind of gains some traction going forward. I, I think that would be awesome. I know it's happening in other settings with like younger children. I think it's maybe a bit more accepted, but to be able to expand how we're using this with people, I think would be amazing. Mm-hmm. And so just from the amount of requests we get for consultation uh, and the couple other people that I know, I'm not going to call them out right now because the groups haven't gotten started up and that would be mean, but um, there are groups that are starting up at other VAs. And so I think this is something that is catching on, that is being supported by leadership that kind of has the capacity to move forward. And that's one of the reasons why we're so passionate about kind of that training and that research is that both of those pieces are really needed for this to be successful Mm long-term. Awesome. Well, thank you again for your time. I appreciate you spending some time here with me today. Uh, Absolutely. Likewise. Best of luck in Philly. I hope it's warm (laughs) enough for for you. Definitely uh, get a cheesesteak. I grew up near that area. So uh, I definitely try to get back to, I'm from South Jersey, so okay. I uh, fly in and out of the Philly airport once or twice a year, visit family, so enjoy. Thank you. And what's the, what's the best way, again, just to, to repeat it as we end here, uh, how can people find you on, on Twitter and, or other social media? Yeah, so at Drs. Kilmer is going to be the best way to find us on Twitter. Awesome. All right. Well, best of luck. And certainly uh, if you have some new developments or things you want to chat about, you're always welcome to come back on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Have a great week. You too. I appreciate you having us. Thanks.